our scripture reading, I invite you to turn in your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 6. Begin reading at verse 10. If you're using a pew Bible, that can be found on page 1163. That's page 1163 in the pew Bible. This week, I came across an article entitled, America's Crisis is a Lack of Fathers, and it was written by three men. One is a representative, I believe, in Utah, uh, Burgess Owens, who is a professional football player, and Byron Donalds, and another gentleman, Jack Brewer, I believe he was a professional athlete as well, and the three of them co-authored this article entitled, America's Crisis is the Lack of fathers. And interestingly, where it was located on the website was but a footnote. It didn't have top priority, I guess, to the website. And it's hard to find, but I happened to run across it by God's providence. And in the article, it talks about the data from the United States Census Bureau, which shows clearly that nearly 18.5 million children are without fathers, which has in return led the United States to be or to hold the title of the world's leader in fatherlessness. 85% of children and teens with behavioral disorders come from fatherless homes. Over 70% of all adolescent patients in drug and alcohol treatment centers originate from homes without fathers. Research indicates that children without fathers at home are nine times more likely to drop out of school and represent 90% of all homeless and runaway children. Fathers aren't important. Lastly, the article pleads that three men make an appeal, and they say this, lastly, to all God-fearing fathers, these men are Christians, they're vocal Christians, to the God-fearing fathers throughout our nation, we ask that you look beyond your own homes and make intentional efforts to coach, mentor, and support the fatherless children in your own communities. Isn't that what the church is about? Yes, it breaks our heart, the fatherlessness out there. It breaks our hearts. It breaks our heart for the Father. We should be praying for repentance and restoration because our good father saves even the broken father. And the father saves broken children who are affected by broken homes. Is our father, our good father's arm short to save? No. There's a crisis of fatherlessness but there's also a crisis of an outright out fight and war and assault against the father who is in the home. Yes, fatherlessness breaks our hearts. And it's a reality. And what is the church doing about it in terms of reaching out with Christ? But there's fathers who are in the home. And there's an all-out assault against them. 
the nuclear family being destroyed. And so fathers must take up the shield of faith. I question whether I should choose a different passage this morning for Father's Day. Maybe going to the Proverbs again. But I thought, wow, how appropriate it is for us as men, as fathers, to take up the shield of faith. I didn't even read the passage yet. Let's look at our passage of Scripture, beginning at verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in change, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Let's ask God's blessing in a time of prayer. Oh, Father in heaven, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all all of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Put on the whole armor of God to resist the devil and the spiritual forces of evil. Stand firm. Put on the armor and stand firm. We looked at preparing for battle. We looked at knowing the enemy. We looked at what it means to having put on the the, uh, belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness and the shoes with the readiness of the gospel of peace. And now we look look at taking up the shield of faith. Stand, therefore. Stand. Notice that the The first three pieces of armor, the belt, the breastplate, and the shoes are those pieces of the whole armor that are attached to the soldier. Now we get to a piece of God's armor that is taken up. It is taken up, and that is called the shield of faith. Paul says in verse 16, look with me in your Bible. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Here are some other helpful translations. In every battle, you will need faith as your shield to stop the fiery arrows aimed at you by Satan. Or how about this translation? Above all, be sure you take as your shield, take faith as your shield, for it can quench every burning missile The enemy hurls at you. 
This morning, we take up the shield of faith. And like the previous pieces of armor that God gives to us, Christians are active, active in taking up the shield of faith. In order to do this, in order to take it up in all circumstances or in all things, in every way and in every place, in every battle, how do we do it? What's the meaning of the metaphor? What's the meaning of to take up the shield of faith? You see, in those days, in the Roman Empire, the Roman soldiers had two types of shield. One was a circular shield, a lighter shield, and that was used more for hand or sword fighting, close combat. But there was also another shield. It was a large seal, uh, shield, an oblong shield. In fact, they called it a door because it looked like a door. In fact, if you look in the back of your sermon notes, you'll see a picture of archaeologists who have dug up a Roman shield. The thing was heavy. It was a heavy, door-like shaped shield. And it nearly covered the soldier's entire body. And in ancient warfare, archers would dip their arrows, their very sharp arrows in some kind of pitch or tar, light it on fire, and zing, they would fly it over their enemy all at once. And the soldiers would get in position with these doors, these large shields, and put themselves in a position where their whole body is then covered. And the sharp flaming arrows, as soon as they would hit the, the large shield, they would be extinguished immediately. The force of the contact would crush the arrow and extinguish the flame. Figuratively, a shield protects us from harm's way. In the Old Testament, we learn God is our shield. There are numerous passages, both in the narrative portions of the Old Testament. For example, Genesis chapter 51, where he tells Abraham, God is your shield, Abraham. Or how about in the Psalms, where over and over again, God is our shield. The Lord is your shield at your right hand. He is your protector. He covers you and protects you from arm's way. Psalm 7, verse 10, My shield is with God, who saves the upright in heart. But in our text, notice what it says. It doesn't say take up the shield of God. It takes up the shield of, says take up the shield of faith. Is it a difference without a distinction? How is this taking up the shield of faith different or similar to taking up the shield of God? To take up the shield of faith seems to say that we take up the shield of faith on our own effort and strength. But this, however, isn't the case because Paul unequivocally teaches in the previous chapters to the Ephesian church that it is by faith you have been saved. It is by the grace of God through the means of faith that you have been saved. And so faith is a gift of God. It's not a result of work or effort or merit of man. Faith is a gift. That's what grace is. Grace is a gift, freely given 
to Christians. There's no natural or moral strength within man to resist from the enemy's attacks, the devil's assault. In in fact, it's quite opposite, isn't it? It's quite opposite because by nature we are born children of wrath. We are born on the wrong side, so to speak. Born on the wrong side. Born sons of disobedience. But God, being rich in mercy, saved us by the blood of his son, by the death of Jesus, and made us alive by the Spirit. And God, by his grace, is doing a work by his Spirit in our lives. Because God alone imparts imparts true faith in us. He imparts faith in us, in our hearts, so that we stand firm and take up the shield of faith. Because faith in Christ gives us the strength. Faith in Christ gives us the strength to take it up and to press on and persevere to stand firm against the fiery darts or arrows of the enemy, Satan. I want to unpack this metaphor even further. And before we understand the shield of faith and its power to protect us, we need to understand what these fiery darts are. So before we look at more deeply the the, the shield of faith and how we're really saying take up the shield of Christ, take up the shield of God, we can say that these phrases are synonymous, that we stand taking up the shield of faith, that is we take up faith in Christ, But I want to unpack what this looks like. What does it look like for us as Christians and as a community of faith to take up the shield of faith against the fiery arrows of the devil? So before I deal with the shield of faith, I want to look at the fiery arrows of the devil. And that's in your notes there. What are the fiery arrows of the devil? You see, in ancient times, before an infantry would penetrate and charge the army, they would first bombard them with arrow. They would bring in the archers. The archers would send the arrows to maximize the amount of casualties, to bring about disorientation, to throw them off, to throw the enemy off. And then when the enemy is thrown off, after all these arrows have been hurled upon their enemy, they would then charge with the infantry. Paul is giving us a glimpse of not only close combat, but also long-distance combat. (laughs) Because Satan is very clever in attacking us from every angle. Paul illustrates the need to protect oneself from the fiery arrows of the evil one, that is, the devil, Satan, the deceiver. And Christian, you and I have a target on our back. We have a big old bullseye on our back. Every day. That's why he says in all circumstances. Not some. In all. Because you have a big old bullseye on your back. And Satan seeks to plummet you and take you down. If he can't hit you directly, he'll shoot at those around you. He'll shoot at those around you. If he can't get you, he'll get those who are closest to you family, friends, loved ones, siblings, relationships. Don't be deceived. If he cannot get a direct hit on you because you took up the shield of faith, 
He'll find another position to shoot at you, and meanwhile hitting others to maximize the damage, maximize the casualties. Because he does not care about casualties of war. He does not care, as I told you before, about the Geneva Convention. There is no nice play with Satan. He is ruthless. And there's nothing more that he wants from you to see him as an angel of light. Someone you can dilly-dally with and flirt with. Don't flirt with Satan. Because he has a quiver full of arrows that he is firing at you and me. Practically, what do the flaming arrows of the evil one mean? In what ways does he assault us? First, the mind. The mind. The intellectual life. The thought life of the Christian. The mind is easily influenced and persuaded. Very impressionable. And if it's not disciplined and renewed by the Spirit through the Word of God, if it's not uh, disciplined and renewed by the power of God and His grace, we stand vulnerable. The devil attacks our minds with his lies and deceits concerning God and who he is and who we are. Concerning ourselves, he aims to destroy our confidence in God's promises and our convictions concerning his truth. I've said this before, did God really say that age-old question that the devil asked? Adam and Eve, did God really say? Your faith is useless. Your faith is in vain. Jesus didn't rise from the dead. It's not rational. It's not logical. It's not empirical. Jesus is not Lord and Savior. The dead don't rise. You don't think our children are being bombarded with this in schools and in colleges and in Master degrees and PhDs. I had a very close mentor at Moody Bible Institute, Dr. Sauer, great godly man. He had a very close friend who went to Oxford to get his doctorate degree, went in a strong believer, came back <laughs> basically an atheist, denied the supernatural teachings of Scripture. And was involved in a very ugly lifestyle. And subsequently was arrested for it. You don't think that his arrows were at work firing on all cylinders? On this man who entered an environment where his mind was being assaulted day in and day out? God is a liar, says Satan. Did God really say? He won't save you. He isn't your shield and protector. When you're suffering physically, do you think he cares about you? He doesn't care about you. That's what the devil likes to hurl your way. Because when we have physical trials, that's when we feel the weakest. <laughs> oh, how physical trials bring about spiritual challenges, does it not? God isn't good. 
Isn't that a flaming arrow of the devil? God isn't good. He isn't good to you. Can't you see? Look at the world around you. God isn't good. Boys and girls, that's a lie from the pit of hell. How about the attacks on our minds concerning ourselves? Am I really a child of God? Do I really have worth? Do I really have worth as an image bearer? Do I really have worth as a child of God who Jesus died for? Do I really have a father in heaven, a good father in heaven who loves me and cares for me and gave his son to die for me? Do I really have that? Oh, I'm such a loser. I'm such a failure. God can't forgive my failures. He won't forgive you, Roberto. He won't forgive you of your sins. He won't forgive you of your failures. Does not God want to instill that fear of failure in you? Doesn't he want to feed that? It's already natural in us. We already have that fear. But he feeds it with those fiery darts and arrows. How about those sleepless nights because we fear and are anxious in the darkness of night? Assaulting our mind with his deadly arrows, taking every opportunity to discourage you, knowing that the days before you are going to be doom and gloom. Do you have that? I've experienced it plenty of times. But maybe God keeps us awake to look up, help us to look up to him, force us to look up to him. How about those unsolicited evil thoughts that go in your mind where you're going about your day and some evil, putrid thought comes to mind? So evil that you wouldn't even tell your closest friend about it. I know you had it. You've had it. It's happened to you. I'm no different than you. So evil, you wonder, where in the world did that come from? Oh, God, have mercy on me. Oh, God, I'm sorry for thinking such hatred towards my fellow brother and sister. Satan firing those unsolicited arrows at you in your mind. These unsolicited evil thoughts where you stop in your tracks and you are so appalled and you rebuke them because they're a sign of God's grace. If the minds of adults are so impressionable, what of our children? What of your children? In one of my favorite books on progressive ideology and dismantling it, Noel Meering writes about the assaults of progressive teaching in the education system. She wrote, in 1941, Eugene Lyons wrote a book, Enemy in Our Schools, about the corruption of the educational system and the effort to lace lesson plans with Marxist ideology. Lyons stated that the trend of glorifying youth was strategic because it puts, now listen to what she says, because it puts a premium on lack of experience, mental fuzziness, and intuition as against intelligence and maturity. They know the mental fuzziness of our youth, that the minds of young people are so impressionable that if we can get to them and make it even more fuzzy and indoctrinate them, we'll make them into 
people we want them to be. We will corrupt them and make them activists. And fathers, <laughs> you may even have your children at a Christian school. You think they're safe. You think they're in this plastic bubble, church, school, home, the three-legged school. You, th you don't think the devil can go around those things? <laughs> oh, most certainly he can. Remember, he's feeding those fiery darts from every angle, every angle, and he'll find ways to attack the mind. And it'll attack our eyes and our ears. Our eyes see all sorts of things in this present evil age. Pornography, materialism, you name it. What our eyes see make an impression on the mind. A true story, true story. A young boy was in a grocery store. No, it was, a, it was like a, a clothing store, like a Kohl's or Target's. And he was walking with his mother in an aisle, shopping. They get in the car, and they're on their way home. The child's in the back. And the son said, who is no more than six, seven years old, said to his mother, Mom, I can't stop thinking about that girl. Son, what girl are you talking about? That girl that was at the store. I can't stop thinking about her. Son, I don't know who you're talking about. That thing that was standing still with clothes on it. He was talking about the mannequin. A mannequin dressed in provocative clothes was enough to impress this young mind and entice the child to these ungodly thoughts. Our minds are attacked. The will, the will, the devil's fiery arrows attack our hands, feet, and mouth. That is, he aims to divert our attention away from God's will and to do the, to the will of the devil. To walk in the deeds of the flesh. To walk according to our sinful nature. All those evils that were mentioned by the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 4. Walking in darkness, walking in sin. He entices us to walk in those things. Come on, walk. You don't have to obey God's word. Sin is fun. It's pleasurable. You'll like it. It'll gratify you. Our hands and feet involve the activity of the Christian. And it's the devil's intent to tempt us to walk in darkness and sin and not to be imitators of God, not to walk in Christ. He wants us to walk in the ways of this world and to blaspheme Christ by our actions, by the way our wills are choosing is revealed to the world. He is shooting his fiery darts in this aspect of your soul. Our mouths communicate what's in our hearts. What the will of our heart is, our mouth communicates. 
And oh, how our tongues boast. Satan delights in that. That one of the greatest things he would want more than anything is to say or to see a Christian with his or her mouth say, Jesus is not Lord. He desires Christians to walk in a manner that is not worthy of the calling, to walk in sin and disobedience, to deny God's will for one's life. I want to read you an excerpt from Noel Mearing again. This is important. Related to the will and how Satan's fiery darts attack the will. She writes this in the children's movie Frozen. Sounds nice and harmless. The movie, the, the cartoon, animated cartoon Frozen. The character Elsa has a secret that makes her different. Her concerned parents take her to see the wise trolls who declare that she was born this way. She hides her secret, keeping herself in a metaphorical closet. Characters sing about how love is an open door, reinforcing the the in-the-closet theme. When the more traditional people in the village discover that she is different, they condemn her, confirming to the audience that the true villains in life are the dominant oppressors upholding normativity. Elsa moves to the mountains and transforms herself into a fabulous queen of her own universe. And in the triumphant coming out anthem, the song, Let It Go, I'm sure many of you have heard that, Let It Go, she sings about how she no longer has to be a good girl. No right, quote unquote, quote, no right, no wrong, no rules for me, I'm free. End of quote. No right, no wrong, no rules for me, I'm free. Isn't we, don't we see this happening today? Satan attacks the will. He attacks the will. No rules for me, I'm free. Don't you want that, Satan says? Don't you want to be free? Sin. Third, the affections, just briefly, the affections of the Christian refer to the godly desires and passions, the desiring of God and his glory, the zeal and desire for God to glorify him and to enjoy him forever and ever with one's heart and being. And Satan is the one who comes along with his fiery arrows to steal your joy in Christ. to steal your affections, to steal your joy that you have in salvation in Christ. He comes to steal that. The mind, the will, the affections, the fiery darts of the devil are aimed at those. We could even say are aimed at the body, as Scripture teaches as well. Lastly, how do we take up the shield of faith to protect us from the fiery arrows of the devil? Those are the fiery arrows of the devil. How do do we withstand them and stand firm? The Apostle Paul says, take up the shield of faith with which you will extinguish all of the devil's arrows. Not some of them, all of them. This is not hyperbole or exaggeration. 
faith in Christ is the shield that extinguishes all the flaming darts and arrows, all the temptations against the mind, will, and affections. How does the shield of faith do that? Faith in Christ protects and assures our minds of God's promises in Christ. Because faith presupposes truth. When you hold up the shield of faith, you're holding up the truth concerning Christ. And that all the promises of God are yes and amen in him. That Satan has no hold over you. And yes, he may shoot those arrows at you and tempt you to certain things, to believe certain things. But when you hold up the shield of faith, you are protecting yourself with Christ. And assuring your minds that God's promises are true. Faith in Christ is the only protection against the assaults, against the whole man or woman of God, because the object of our faith is Jesus. He is mighty. He is strong to save. He is protector. He is your shield. Get thee behind me, Satan. Jesus is my protector. In him, in him, I am free. Faith in Christ also protects and guides our hands and feet, our will in the way of righteousness and truth. To take up the shield of faith in Christ is a desire to walk in the will of God. That your mind and your heart, your mind and will are so captive to the word of God. That's why Romans 12 verse 2 is so imperative to the Christian life. Be renewed Be renewed in the mind. Turn with me to Romans chapter 12. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. How do you not be conformed to the world and be transformed by the renewing of the mind? You are so gripped by God's word. Anyway, a person of prayer, Lord God, by your spirit, grip me by your word and help me to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. Help me to walk in your will. And the good news is, the good news is that God forgives and has mercy. Yes, we succumb. We're late in getting up, taking up the shield of faith. We're late so often taking it up. And we don't extinguish the darts. We're attacked and we feel it. But God's forgiving and merciful in Christ. Take it up next time, child. Take it up next time. You're forgiven now. Take it up next time. And if you fall again, he picks you back up. Take it up, child. Take it up. Faith in Christ protects and assures the mind. Faith in Christ protects and guides our hands and feet, the will. Faith in Christ protects and fosters godly affections. Affections of the heart affections of the soul that desire God more than anything. 
A person who takes up the shield of faith is a person who looks to Christ and dwells in Christ and with Christ through prayer, meditation, reflection upon Christ and his beauty. And I think of no more beautiful passage in Philippians chapter 4. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 4. Beginning at verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, Whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things, which you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Put on Christ, because Christ is pure. Christ is lovely. Christ is beautiful. He is our all in all. He is all we need. All we need. Yes, there may be fatherless children out there. Yes, there may be those with broken homes. Yes, there may be these things. But we have a Father in heaven. And that through the gospel of Jesus Christ, we can sing like the great hymn. In the morning when I rise. In the morning when I rise. In the morning when I rise. Give me Jesus, when I am alone, when I am alone, when I am alone, give me Jesus. When I come to die, when I come to die, when I come to die, give me who? Jesus. You see, during his earthly ministry, Jesus suffered greatly and was tempted the devil fiercely attacked him, fiercely attacked him, attacked him. And the devil thought he had succeeded in his effort, especially on the cross. But God purposed to send his son to pay the penalty of our sin and to destroy Satan's works, Satan's hold over his people. At the cross, Jesus disarmed him, putting the devil and all his cohorts to public shame. Colossians chapter 2, verse 15. So let us not forget that we fight from the standpoint from victory and not for victory. Because there is victory in Jesus. The victory is already won, but the devil wants to wreak havoc in your life and deeply trouble you in body and soul so that we despair in this life. But we need not despair. We take up the shield of faith in all circumstances. Take up the shield of Christ in your life to stand against the devil because he is victorious. You know, friends, in the ancient world, in the ancient times, kingdoms had a coat of arms, a symbol that was either on a uniform or on their shield, always on their shield. And the Roman coat of arms were two eagles back to back looking out with wings spread out. The cross of Jesus Christ is the Christian's coat of arms in the battle. 
against the fiery darts of the devil. When you take up the shield of faith, you take up the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ who defeated Satan. You take up the coat of arms, friends. Take it up. Take up the shield of faith and pray, trusting in Jesus to protect you from Satan's fiery arrows. Take it up. Take it up. Someone may ask, Pastor, why then does it hurt so much? Why does it hurt? You're right, it hurts. It's painful to take it up. It's heavy at times. It hurts to hold up the shield of faith in all circumstances for a long duration of time. It hurts to hold up the shield of faith. However, God's grace is sufficient. His grace is sufficient for you, Christian. And he gives us the strength to take it up and to hold it against the evil one. Because with God, all things are possible for those who believe. Individually, we take up the shield of faith. And we take it up corporately as well. The Christian church and the Christian community grow up in the unity of faith as the Apostle Paul speaks of in chapter 4. We grow up in maturity of faith. We take it up together. I want you to turn in the back of your sermon notes. Turn in the back of your sermon notes there. You see a picture there to the right of a bunch of men, soldiers, with that shield for protection. The Romans called that the tortoise formation, where they came together to protect one another against the flaming darts of the enemy. Is that not the church? coming together to fight together, to live life together, to carry the shield of faith together. Many Christians are vulnerable and are pierced by the devil's arrows because they neglect to take up the shield of faith individually and corporately. We need each other to build one another up and strengthen one another in the faith. And so, friends, let us be mindful and prayerful that we take up the shield of faith in confidence and in hope that God will indeed protect us and grant us his mercy. Take up the shield of faith and be protected by Christ, your Lord and Savior. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Father in heaven, you are a shield to your people. Grant us grace and a steadfast heart and a steadfast will to fight against the temptations to sin, against the temptations that are fired our way from the evil one. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Protect us, O Lord. May our eyes be fixed on Jesus, our Lord, who is the author and perfecter of our faith. Help us, O Lord, to fix our eyes on his righteousness, his victory, his perfect life. Help us fix our eyes on the cross where he paid it all. Help us fix our eyes on the resurrection where he was raised to new life, raised to 
an incorruptible, imperishable body, and we shall be made like him. Oh, this promise is for us, and no one can snatch us out of your hand, oh, Father. Help us, oh, Lord, we pray, to glorify you. Help our fathers to teach and discipline our children to take up the shield of faith daily. Help our fathers to teach our children to walk in faith in Christ. Teach our, help our fathers to teach our children to humble ourselves before you, to pray to you so that we may resist the devil who roams around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Oh, Father, help us, we pray. Be our protector. In Jesus' name.